The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning is out of Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. We are kicking off a little two-week mini sermon series this morning called What's Killing Me? This will get us up to the first Sunday of Advent at the end of this month. But we want to take a few weeks to intentionally talk about specific things that we think are barriers to us as the people of God living as flourishing disciples to Jesus. You asked me, Tim, what are the primary things that would keep Citizens Church as individuals and collectively from living whole, flourishing lives of discipleship to Jesus, of the the mission of God and the spirit of God moving forward in our city and in our world? These would be these two things, anxiety and apathy, anxiety and apathy. So this week we're going to be talking about anxiety. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica and he says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul's framework for how the church was supposed to spur one another on towards Christ involves different things for different people. He says for the idle, for the lazy person, they need admonishment. They need warning and rebuke and strong wording. But for the faint-hearted, the downtrodden and the weak, they need help. They need encouragement and all of that with patience. So today I'm going to be a little more in the encouragement and help area as I help to to spur us on away from anxiety and towards Christ. And then next week we'll save uh, for a little more of the admonishing of our apathy sermon next week. So that being said, grab a Bible, go Matthew 6. We're going to be in verses 24 through 35. Matthew 6, 24 through 35. Now, before we jump in this morning, I want to show you what I find to be a really helpful diagram for thinking about the various levels of anxiety. This will be on the screen. So at the bottom level, we have level one or common anxiety. This is very broad day to day, kind of anxious, fearful or worried thoughts and feelings. And this can be about specific things. It can be about general things, but it's kind of just that base level. I have some worries. I have some fears. I have some anxieties. And then above that is level two. 
This is intense anxiety. It's a more intense season or outbreak of anxiety. It seems to have some, some sticking power to it where you can't really shake these feelings or, or this reaction. It, it often has some amount of physical component to it, whether it be a panic attack of some sort, trouble breathing, a sick stomach, something like that, where it's just this elevated level of more intense anxiety. And then at the top, we have level three or these anxiety disorders. These are typically clinical and diagnosed. It can be something like a panic disorder and an intense phobia, OCD, social anxiety, a general anxiety disorder, something like that. And I would argue that 100% of us most likely struggle in some way, shape, or form with common anxiety, with that first level. Life is hard. The world and our hearts are broken. This is part of living as humans. I also know from pastoring this church that there's a good chunk of us that deal with intense anxiety, whether from a specific season or circumstance in our lives that has brought that about, whether it be a loss of job, moving, sickness, something that takes our generic sort of underneath the surface anxiety and actually brings it more to the forefront. And then statistically, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the ADAA, about 30% of U.S. adults will experience what could be classified as an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. So a third of us. Now, I wanted to start here is that it's my experience in ministry and in life that when someone points to the scriptures, when they open up to teach on Matthew 6 or Philippians 4 or one of a whole host of passages that address our worry and anxiety, that the temptation is to only let God's word apply to level one and level two. We can be tempted to think that because of good advances in science and medicine, and just really the fact that Jesus lived in the first century, that he didn't know everything we know now about the human brain. And so he wasn't talking about chemicals and neurological pathways that trigger our anxiety when he says here in this chapter, Matthew 6, do not be anxious. We think surely he's not talking to us if we're in that level three, but you got to remember Jesus, though he was, became fully man, was also still fully God. So what that means is that he knew and knows the human brain way better than any doctor or medical expert today. He knows how it was created to be and how sin corrupted or broken all aspects of creation, including our physical bodies and our mental capacities. So I wanted to start here because there's going to be a temptation for you to dismiss this scripture simply on the basis of a medical diagnosis. To read Matthew 6 and think, well, he's not talking to me. He's talking to level one. He's talking to level two to think that we get an exemption. But do not be anxious is still the words of Jesus and it's still what we're commanded to do for all three levels. In fact, dealing with anxiety on a level one and level two basis is actually a key step in learning to fight a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. You see, we are integrated beings. What that means is that our spiritual lives and our physical lives are interconnected and affect one another, oftentimes way more than we think about or realize or even fully understand. And so what that means is we'll talk about later on is that we need a strategy for fighting our anxiety in our lives that is both physical and spiritual. Talk about this more later, but for now, let's turn to Matthew 6. My, my sermon outline is pretty simple this morning. I just want to walk through these verses with you, pulling out some things that we see about anxiety. And then we're going to end by getting really practical with some step-by-step. -step. Hey, if you're there, if you're struggling with anxiety, if anxiety is playing a role in your life, here's some practical next steps for you. I hope it's helpful. Here we go. Matthew 6, verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? All right, pause. Look at that first word of verse 25 with me. Jesus says, therefore. So really cheesy Bible tip I learned growing up from my pastor. It's super cheesy, but it's super helpful. He used to say, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is the therefore Therefore, it's really cheesy, but I think it's helpful. And what's going on here is that Jesus is connecting with that word, therefore, in verse 25, back to what he just told them in the previous verses. So these few verses are a part of Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which you can read in Matthew 5 through 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically lays out an entire vision of what the good life with God looks like, what it means to live in the way of Jesus for human flourishing. So in the sermon, he talks about marriage and sex and generosity and prayer and all of these different things. And then he gets to chapter six, verses 19 through 24, and he addresses money. And his big teaching in those verses is that followers of Jesus can't worship both God and money. In other words, they can't put their hope and their faith and their trust in their possessions or their cash because you can't live for the dollar and live for the father. You're welcome for that. Then we get to verse 25 and he says, therefore, okay, in light of the fact that you can't serve, worship, devote your life to both God and money, because of that, don't be anxious. And I love the word anxious here. It's the, the Greek word merimenao. What it means at its root is to be pulled apart or divided by worry. To be pulled apart or divided by worry. This actually leads us to the first thing we see about anxiety in Matthew 6. Number one, anxiety reveals our idolatry. Anxiety reveals our idolatry. Anxiety reveals how our hearts are divided where a part of our heart is running towards God, chasing God, wants to be with God and worship him and look to him to provide for us and care for us as a good father. Anxiety reveals that there's this other part of our hearts that's trusting in something or someone else to provide what we need, comfort, security, peace, safety, belonging. And so what anxiety can actually be is a gift to a believer to show us where we have misplaced our hope, to show us where we have misplaced our worship. Think about anxiety like smoke to a fire. You have to follow the trail back to its source. Trace your anxiety back to the root of what's going on underneath the surface. Ask yourself questions like, what am I afraid of losing? What am I afraid of not getting? What is anxiety revealing that I am actually worshiping or putting my hope and trust in in this moment? Is it money instead of God? Comfort instead of God, power, status, and approval instead of God. Maybe just a better future than my present instead of God. This connection between verses 24 and 25 is so crucial. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, don't be anxious. You see, we think our anxiety is an emotion that just sort of naturally arises from the uncertainty of life. But here Jesus clarifies, no, anxiety is intimately connected to our deepest desires. Anxiety is intimately connected to our deepest desires. In other words, we worry most about what we are most devoted to. We worry most about the things in which our heart loves the most. And Jesus knows this connection between anxiety, worry, and devotion. That's why he starts with one of the biggest things we spend our time being anxious about. Money, finances. And so from the jump, he says, hey, if you're devoted to money, 
You'll spend your time being anxious about that. But this can be so much more than just money. There's a whole host of other things that we give our lives towards that we are devoted to that lead to anxiety, worry, and the like. Anxiety reveals our misplaced hope, our misplaced devotion. Anxiety reveals our idolatry. Second thing we see in this passage is that anxiety tells the truth about us. Anxiety tells the truth about us. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Here's a universal truth about all humans, regardless of sex, age, country of origin, anything like that. We love to be in control, right? Like we love to be in control. We love to be in control of what we do, how we do it, how it ends up, how it all works out. If someone showed up at your doorstep today and said, Hey, you can be in control of the rest of your life and plan out everything, how you want it to go. I don't think any of us would say no right? We love being in control. That's an easy yes. And yet we all know that's not how life actually works, right? Think about your life 10 years ago, the plans that you had for yourself, how you saw your life going, how many of those things actually worked out? Were you able to control every step of the way? Did, did everything go exactly how you desired and dreamed and hoped that it would? Think about the next 10 years, right? The hopes, the dreams, the desires, the wants, the goals that you have. Is it in your ultimate power to make any of that happen? Anxiety reminds us of this overwhelming truth. We are not in control. We are not kings and rulers and masters of our destiny. I love the way verse 27 says this. Jesus says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Now we know the rhetorical answer or the answer to this rhetorical question, right? We know that it's none of us. That's easy for us to dismiss. There's no way I can add time to my life by being anxious. I get it. Totally Jesus. But, but take a second and substitute in some other things here. Instead of which of you can add an hour to your life, substitute something else that you're worried about. Which of you by being anxious can keep your kid from not turning rebellious and running away from the Lord? Which of you by being anxious can force that company to hire you? Which of you by being anxious can add money to your bank account? Which of you by being anxious can keep yourself from suffering or harm or sickness? Which of you by being anxious can make those people like you and approve of you? Anxiety tells us the truth about ourselves. We are not in control. We are not God. Now, this is where some nuance and some tension is helpful with points one and two. So anxiety reveals our idolatry. It reveals what we care about too much, what we put our hope in, our ultimate trust in. Anxiety tells us the truth, that we're not in control. We can't predict the final outcome. We can't stop some of these things from happening. And I do want to add here, there are good things to care about in the world, and you're not called to be passive. Garrison's going to talk next week about rejecting passivity and apathy and embracing responsibility. There are good things to care about, and we are called to work hard and take steps. If, if we're concerned about getting a job, we should do some things, right? We should create a resume. We should send out some applications. We should prepare for interviews. Here's the problem. The problem becomes when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing and our valid concerns become anxious distrust in God. 
Let me say that again. The problem becomes when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing and our valid concerns become anxious distrust in God. Leads us to number three. Number three, anxiety lies about God. Anxiety lies about God. Pick it up in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? While anxiety tells us the truth about ourselves, that we're not in control, that we're not the masters of our own destiny, it also lies to us about God. In two specific ways, anxiety tells us that God is not in control and that God is not good. And these are both lies. Our anxiety reveals to us that we struggle with this disbelief that God is good and that he will care for us as a father. I don't think we necessarily struggle with this on a head level or a heart level. I think if we were talking and I asked you, hey, do you think God cares about you? I think at some level, cognitively, we would say, yeah, yes, I think God cares about me. I think he's a good father. I think he cares for his children. But there becomes a disconnect between what we say with our mouths, what we think with our heads and our hearts, and what actually works its way down into a functional, changing the way we live type of trust. So we end up thinking things like, "Will, will God actually show up here? Will he actually work? Will he actually provide, be what I need? Will he actually be enough? And yet throughout Matthew 6 and really the whole of the Bible, we have promise after promise that God does take care of his children. I'll just give you a couple. Isaiah 49, 15. I love this verse. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom over and over and over again in the scriptures. We have promises about the bigness of God, the enoughness of God and the care and concern of God for his people. We read things like God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God created all things and in Christ, all things hold together that he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. I mean, even think about the gospel. Right, the good news that Jesus came to earth, that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. That what that means is that God showed up in the most needed and important and crucial and self-sacrificing way. God showed up and took care of our most crucial need, forgiveness for our sins and reconciliation to God. And so we have to ask the question, why would he stop showing up in a bunch of lesser ways? Right, if he took care of that, why would he not continue to take care of us? I remember going to Disney World as a kid uh, with my parents and my two brothers, which when you're a kid, you don't really realize this. Like, it's just like Disney World. Yes, this is awesome. I'm going to do Space Mountain and see Mickey Mouse and all this kind of stuff. And you don't realize how crazy expensive it is to take five people from South Carolina to Florida to get tickets to all the parks, which is in and of itself a whole fortune to get hotel rooms and food and all this kind of stuff. So when you're a kid, you're just like, yeah, Disney World, let's do it. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like... Sorry, Harper, you better talk to your grandparents about that one because it is not happening. I'm not dropping that cash to go see Mickey and Minnie. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? But I remember when I was a kid, 
and we went for a week. And one of the days we were there, we did uh, Epcot and Animal Kingdom. So it was a really long day and we were running around having a ton of fun. And it got to be around 7 or 7.30 and we still hadn't eaten dinner yet, which is pretty late for a kid to not have eaten. And then there's, there's this one part of Epcot in the park where it's this kind of fountain area in the middle, this kind of mini lake pond thing. And all around it are all of these international restaurants. So you have uh, this Chinese cuisine and Italian and French and all these like wonderful restaurants. And so we're just walking around this little pond looking at all of this wonderful, delicious food. And at this point, I am starving. And I was pretty annoyingly like fussy as a kid. Like I just wasn't always the greatest. <laughs> and so I just remember starting to complain. I remember we would walk by all these great restaurants and I would just be like, can we eat here? Can we please eat here? Can we please eat here? And eventually those questions turning into frustration and fussiness and just general anger. And I remember so distinctly as I think I was like 10 or 11. And I remember having this thought, I don't know if my parents are going to feed me. Like, I don't know that they actually know that I need food and I don't have money, so I can't buy this for myself. And it feels like we just keep walking by all of these delicious restaurants. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing and I am starving. Now, let me ask you a question. How ridiculous is it for me to think that my parents paid all of that money and went through all of that work to bring me and my brothers to Disney World just to let us starve? Right? Like, that's crazy, right? Why would they take us all the way down to Disney World just to not feed us, to not take care of us? Listen, God has given us the greatest gift, the greatest provision. Why do we doubt his goodness now? He has showed up in the most needed and necessary and self-sacrificing way. Why do we think he won't continue to show up and provide? Now, the way Charles Spurgeon talks about it, he says this, Listen to the voice of the Lord speak. I will help you. It is a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I have already done. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. What? Not help you? I died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I not do the lesser things for you? This is how Paul talks about it in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. If you find yourself in a season of doubting the goodness and provision and care and control of God, look at the cross. Look at the greatest way he has shown up and provided for you. Jesus continues in Matthew 6, verse 32. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, food, clothing. He says, don't be anxious about that. Asking, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things. These people that don't worship God, they're the ones concerned about that. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Our distrust and lack of dependence on God to show up and to care for us is really just functional atheism. It's saying with our mouths, God is good, he loves me, and he cares for me, and yet not letting that belief actually impact our hearts and our lives. It's saying with our lips, God exists, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and yet living as as if he doesn't actually care, doesn't actually exist, isn't actually going to show up. I need you to hear me on this. God loves you. He cares for you. And that might not always look like you want it to. That might not always mean everything works out exactly how you want it to work out. It might mean that he doesn't give the exact answer that you want him to give, but he's still good. He's still in control. He's still working for the good of those who love him. Number four, 
Anxiety is a sin and it needs repentance. Anxiety is a sin and needs repentance. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God calls us away from our anxiety. The scriptures are clear. Do not be anxious. This is the words of Christ. Do not be anxious. And I want to be really clear here. So you know what I'm saying and not saying when it comes to these three levels, right? Level one, common anxiety, level two, intense anxiety, level three, anxiety disorder. When it comes to these levels, the biblical imperative, the biblical command for all three levels is repentance and faith. We said this earlier, a medical diagnosis does not give you exemption from the commands of Jesus in scripture. Now, what I'm not saying is that you need to repent from your chemical imbalances. Sin has broken everything in our world, spiritually, socially, structurally, and physically. And there are some of us who, because of trauma in our past or because of our physiological makeup or wiring, we have physical causes to our anxiety. And I want you to hear me. There's no biblical necessity to repent of those physical realities. But what I have seen, sadly, more often than not, is the excuse that the diagnosis becomes for not fighting for spiritual health and moving towards God. So I'm not saying those physical realities are in and of themselves sinful, but I am saying that the way those work out into our lives in manifested anxiety and worry and fear are sinful and need repentance. We do need to repent of how we let them run our lives and outwork into a posture of distrust to God and anxiety producing itself into our lives. Jesus is clear. Do not be anxious. This is especially important to understand if you're currently on anxiety medication or you're thinking about getting on anxiety medication, medicine, medicine, anxiety medication is a good grace gift from God. I want to make that very clear. We believe medicine is a good grace gift from God. I've seen it be so helpful for some folks as they've wrestled and struggled with clinical anxiety. And I've also seen it become a crutch or a band-aid that people use to slap onto their anxiety so they don't actually have to do the hard work of turning to God, of rooting up their own story and their own uh, history and their own family of origin and all of that and actually getting with God to let the Holy Spirit sanctify them. Anxiety medication, if taken, needs to be taken in faith as one part of your healing not as a band-aid to soothe or as the fix-it method. It has to be a both and. You can take medicine. There's Christian freedom there. We'll talk about that more in a second. And we are still called to repent and do spiritual disciplines and fight to trust God instead of giving into our anxiety. Your medical diagnosis is not an exemption from the commands of God to not be anxious. It has to be a both and. Number five, anxiety does not have to last forever. Anxiety does not have to last forever. Anxiety makes us crushed by the what ifs of life, right? What if I don't get it? What if I get it and lose it? What if something bad happens? What if it gets worse? What if it doesn't get better? What if it does not turn out okay? And we just kind of reside ourselves to thinking this this is always how it will be, right? We just think defeated thoughts like, well, I'm just an anxious person or I just struggle with anxiety. That's just how I am. And, And anxiety kind of becomes a label or a badge we wear around thinking we're destined to be known and identified as an anxious person for the rest of our lives. It doesn't have to always be that way. 
Anxiety of any level doesn't have to be the final word in our story. Listen to how David talks about it in Psalm 34. So David's kingdom has just been taken from him. His very life is in danger. The guy that overthrew his rule and reign wants to kill him and take him out. He has every reason to be afraid and worried and anxious. Look at what he says in Psalm 34. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Anxiety does not have to be the end of the story. You're a blood-bought child of God. Don't let a medical diagnosis become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Don't let how you've always been decide who Jesus wants to redeem you into. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the blood of Christ shed on your behalf. You have the Son of God pleading and interceding for you to God the Father. And you have God the Father committed to the process of sanctification and maturity that he began in you. This anxiety does not have to be how it always is. This is not a life sentence. There can be redemption. There's hope. The Holy Spirit does work. He can work. Here's how I want to close. I just want to give some steps in your fight against anxiety. Some really practical, boom, 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 one after the other. Just steps that you can take in your struggle against anxiety. Number one, repent. Repent. It's the first step, regardless of where you're at in the levels. Jesus says, do not be anxious. We need to repent from our anxiety. How do we do that? Walking back through these steps with the Lord. Right? We start in prayer. God, I have an idolatrous heart. I've put people, things, whatever above you in my life. I've elevated them to a level that only belongs to you. My good concerns have become anxious distrust in you. I've tried to take control of my life. I've forgotten that I'm limited. I've forgotten that I'm not the king and commander. I've forgotten that I'm human and I'm not in control. I've forgotten that you are God. I haven't trusted you like I should with the ups and downs of life. I haven't come to you as my good father who cares for me as his child. Forgive me. The first step fighting our anxiety is repentance. Number two, take our anxiety to the Lord. Take our anxiety to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a verse I found so much comfort in in my own struggle with anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray. Take your cares to God. Let him care for you. Let his peace guard your hearts and your minds from the spiraling that anxiety causes us to do. Ask the Holy Spirit in prayer to reveal what's at the root here. Help me follow the smoke back to the fire. What am I anxious about? Is it a genuine concern? Is it idolatry and misplaced hope? Now realize, if you're feeling anxious, just because you pray doesn't mean you're going to suddenly feel calm and everything's going to be okay. Right? It's not just some, okay, I'm anxious. I prayed. I should just feel better. That's not how it works. But what you're doing when you experience anxiety, when you face anxiety and you look to the Lord and cast your cares, cast your worries on him, what you're doing is training your heart and mind to look to God to trust in him, to put him right in front of your face instead of your problem. This isn't easy, it's a, but it's a good and necessary step. 
That's number two. Take our anxiety to the Lord. Number three, memorize promises of scripture. Memorize promises of scripture. You have to get in God's word. You have to read it, study it, memorize it. So when anxiety comes, you can bring back to mind the truths of the living and active word of God, which is powerful and has everything you need for life and godliness. And so if you learn God's word, if you memorize God's word, what happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you're facing these anxious circumstances, these worries, these doubts, these uncertainties, the Holy Spirit will bring back God's word into your mind and into your heart. So when you're anxious about a meeting or about something you're about to step into, Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for God is with you. When you're anxious about temptation, you're worried about giving into sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13, he'll provide a way out. When you're anxious about a decision about the future, Psalm 32, 8, God will instruct us and teach us the way we should go. We have to get into God's word and read it and study it and learn it and memorize it and get it into our hearts that when we're pressed by the circumstances of life, these truths of who God is and how much he cares for us and what he promises to do come back to the surface book I would highly recommend to help you with this. It's called Take Words With You. It's by a guy named Tim Kerr, and he just lays out a bunch of biblical promises from the scriptures that help in different circumstances and situations. It's called Take Words With You by Tim Kerr. I would highly recommend you pick it up. Number four, two more. Bring it to your community group. Bring it to your community group. Bring it into the light. Right? You ever notice when you're really struggling with something, some doubt or uncertainty or worry or fear, when you say it out loud, it kind of just seems like, well, maybe that's not such a big deal. Right? Like you ever notice that? Like you're, you're talking about something, you're like, I'm really concerned, I'm really worried. And then you say, that, someone's like, what are you worried about? And you say it and you're like, oh, huh, well, maybe not. <laughs> right? Fears, doubts, anxieties, they lose their power in the light. You have a gift afforded to you in the group of people you gather with week in and week out. Bring it to them. Text someone, call someone, let other people in on it. James 5 tells us, confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. To learn to talk about your anxiety, to bring it before other people, to afford yourself the gift of church family. Bring it to your group. Let others care for you, pray for you, help you. Number five, consider the level of anxiety and take an appropriate next step. Consider the level of anxiety, take an appropriate next step. There needs to be a slowness and a process of discernment to figure out where am I at on the chart? Where am I at? Am I, am I level one? Just some anxieties, concerns about some pretty normal stuff, money, job, friendships, family, whatever. Am I level two? Where this specific season is overwhelming, I'm in a specific time of suffering or trial or uncertainty. It just seems like this is boiling over a little bit. Is something big happening in my life or just what's going on here? My level three, seems like there's something else at play. Even if everything in my life is stable or good, I just can't seem to shake this worry or that everything's going to blow up. It feels crippling. It feels like I can't function on a daily basis. My, my encouragement to you is that this process, deciding what, what level am I at right now? What kind of help do I need? This should take time. It should take prayer and it should take conversation. Often we think we're at a higher level than we actually are. That's just kind of the basis of what we think it's worse a lot of times because we're in our own heads and we, we deal with it on a daily basis. And so it's so helpful to take time to pray, to take it before the Lord, to bring it into community, to have a number of conversations where your Christian brothers and sisters can help you determine, Hey, where do you guys think that I'm at here? What steps do I need to take in my fight against anxiety? 
I want to say this real quick. We talked about medicine. I'll talk about counseling real quick. Uh, let's, let's be slow as a church to rush to professional counseling, both for ourselves, but also slow to suggest it to other people. We think professional counseling can be good. We think it can be helpful. We think it's a good gift that we can step into as the people of God, but we also don't want it to be the default response we have to give to someone who's struggling with anxiety. More conversations need to happen. You need to talk to your group leader. You need to come talk to me. We think counseling can be good. It can be helpful. We don't want it to be the first option where you just say, Oh, you struggle with anxiety. You need to go see a counselor. We don't want, we don't want to play that. We want to take it slow. We want to have conversations. We want to spend time in prayer. We actually have a, a paper we wrote on counseling. It'll be on our, our webpage with this sermon where we can go more in depth or we do go more in depth into how we view counseling, how we think about it, steps we want folks to take before they uh, step foot in counseling. You can read that. If you have any questions, I'd love to, to talk to you about that. Let me end with this. And all of this, talking about our anxiety, talking about giving our cares to the Lord, all of this, the goal or the win is not an anxiety-free life. The goal for us is to get more of Jesus, to grow in our discipleship to Jesus. So we need to let our anxiety drive us further into the love of God, into what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his past, present, and promised future provision for us as his children. We need to let our anxieties drive us further into the love of God, how he cares for us, how he nurtures us, how he watches over us and provides for us. And so as a church, we want to grow in our ability to push back against our anxiety and just be steady as the people of God. We want to grow in our ability to be a people of grace and peace and just rootedness and who God is, what he's doing in our lives and, and who he says that he is. We want to be a people where our firm foundation is in the Lord and our feet are firmly planted on the rock of Christ. That's our goal as we push back on anxiety to root ourselves in our discipleship to Jesus, to remember that he is our rock, that God is our father, that he cares for us. We want rootedness and maturity in our faith. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for Matthew 6, for Jesus, for the life he lived, for the miracles he did, but also for the sermons that he taught. And his invitation here to us to not be anxious, to bring our cares to him, to trust that you clothe the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. How much more will you take care of your people? And I just pray this week as we are pressed by anxiety of all different types, all different levels, God, would you help us to be a people that set our eyes on you, that set our gaze on you, that fix ourselves on the rock of Christ, that we would be steady and unmoved and unswayed in the midst of ups and downs that life will bring. Help us to have grace for each other. Help us to have grace for ourselves. Help us to remember the grace you have for us in this. You invite us into whole lives of flourishing, God. So help us fight our anxiety by the power of the Holy Spirit with the truths of your word, that we would more and more grow up into the image of Christ and maturity and flourishing as followers of you. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.